Allow me to read the uh, lyrics to what has become my favorite hymn to start off. So if you would, uh, everybody just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Let's allow these words to soak into your heart. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word, thou my great father and I thy true son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only put first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. High king of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. So, as I read through those lists, somebody, I guess, got on the, the app and looked at my notes and kind of beat me to it. But there is one word that I can use to sum up the modern day church, and I really wish I couldn't. I really don't. And that word is complacent. That word is complacent. Complacent is defined as being satisfied. Okay, being okay with where you're at and not getting any better. And I think no other word hits it better. That the modern day church is completely complacent and that is from the youngest to the oldest. Okay. Luckily, There is a second definition of complacent that I'm going to call you to take on to today. And that second definition is eager to please. Right now, God is awakening me to this thought that as Christians and as Christ followers, we are not simply called to go to church, but to be the church. We are not called just to go to church which some people struggle to do. We are called to be the church, and that is what I'm going to emphasize today. So if you would, allow me to give you a little background of the Scripture. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts, uh, really verses or chapters 1 through 4, uh, but especially in chapter 4. So Acts, Acts is nothing without the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Without the biographies of Jesus, Acts would not happen, okay? The uh, Greek translation that the original uh, title for Acts was is called, I'm, bear with me, I can barely speak English, so Hebrew is really hard, but Praseus Ton Apostolin. Praseus was used to describe the acts of great men in biblical times, so I think instead of saying praiseous tone apostolin, we should instead say the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Because it was not merely man that did the wondrous acts in the book, but the Holy Spirit speaking and moving through them. So during Acts, we're told about the spread of the gospel. We're told about the growth of the church. And then we're also told about the suffering that Christians endured in the A.D. times. 
We see the apostles carry the spirit and the fire of Jesus Christ with them wherever they go, and they never waver, even in the face of adversity. And in Acts 3 and 4, we see Peter and John act as the body of Christ, which we need to start doing more of. So, the book of Acts can easily be broken into three main parts. Uh, Chapters 1 through 8 talk about the witness to Jerusalem. And I want to tell you about this. The witness to Jerusalem was probably the toughest because that was the closest to Jesus. The witness to Jerusalem was the same people that crucified Christ and had him put to death. Just like it's oftentimes hardest for us to minister to those closest to us because they see every side of us. We can't hide things from our family as easily as we can the people we go to church with. So they start off the book ministering to these people that had messed up and done these horrible things to Jesus on whom now they will be saved. The second part is the witness to Judea and Samaria, which we see from chapters 8 through 12. So the gospel spreading. The gospel's taking root and spreading. Okay? Then the third part, the witness to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, not Jerusalem. We're not confined to the church. We are to be the church. Get ready to hear that a lot, okay? And then finally, I want to add in something. You know, Acts ends real abruptly in chapter 28. Uh, Paul is waiting on his sentencing and we don't really get much after that, but I think there's a reason for that. And I'm not trying to add to the Bible. This is just merely a thought of mine. Chapter 29 in Acts is our chapter. That's our chapter. Because just like it ends with the spreading to the ends of the earth, it is now our times to spread the gospel in what I believe is the end times. Right? And so finally, let me catch you up to speed before I start reading the scriptures. Uh, we see a lot that happens in Acts 1 through 3. Uh, first of all, we see the anticipation of the church. We see that um, in the first chapter. Jesus uh, has already came and lived, and in chapter 1 of Acts, we see that he ascends up into heaven. And so Jesus is no longer physically on the earth, and the apostles are left to do the job. And so they've got, they know that they've got to have some kind of organized worship for the spread of the gospel. That is why the church is so important today. They had to have the organized worship, and so they're anticipating this, trying to figure out where it might come from or what it might be. Secondly, we see the founding of the church in chapter 2. This happens on the day of Pentecost. Y'all ever heard of Pentecost? Pretty powerful thing, man. The Holy Spirit came across thousands of people, and they, you know, certain outsiders thought the people were drunk because they were speaking in tongues that they could understand, and they were all from different parts of the nation. Okay? And so thirdly, we see the growth of, of the church. We see the apostles preaching, we see them healing, and we see the persecution that they endure. And so picking up in Acts 3, we see Peter and John enter into the city gates, getting ready to go to the temple. And upon entering into the city gates, they see a lame man who could not walk. And like much of us would do, myself included, they didn't walk past the man. 
They stared at him in the eyes and acknowledged him. And they acknowledged him. When Peter locked eyes with the man, he commanded him to get up and walk. Let me tell you something. He did. That man then stood up and rushes into the temple proclaiming what God and Jesus has done for him. We need some more of that. We need a whole lot more of that. And so upon this man jumping up and going and his ankles are being strengthened, his legs are being healed, he draws a large crowd. And so this crowd is, is forming, and the Sadducees, the high, you know, the dudes then that could make you or break you get disturbed by this because they are, you know, their challenge is them. Their enemy is the gospel, and so they're trying to put it down. That's why they killed Jesus. And But now he's dead, and it's still living on, so they're saying, we've got to jump on it again. And that is where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4. So look with me uh, in Acts chapter 4. I'm reading out of the NASB, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is where all that had happened. You've got a good understanding of what has gone on, so let's read the Scriptures. As they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3 says, And they laid hands on them and put them in jail the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of priestly descent. When they had ordered uh, them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, Peter, man, what a guy. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Point number one of the six things I will talk about from Acts 4. The apostles were ordinary men. The apostles were ordinary men. So allow me to, you know, stress something to you. Ordinary people will be persecuted. Churchgoers in today's world will be persecuted. If you think coming to church is going to be easy breezing and that life's going to be good, then you might as well walk back out because life's going to be the same. Just you've got the power of Jesus Christ inside of you and you now are able to face those trials with the assurance that heaven is waiting on you. Why are y'all so quiet? God will use anybody for anything. Simon and Peter were fishermen that knew nothing but a boat and a couple knots. 
And they are now building the church. Ordinary men do extraordinary things for the gospel. Verse 13, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man, the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. Point number two, the apostles' lifestyles backed up their claims to faith. Gut check. They could walk the walk and talk the talk because that's how they lived. Let me tell you something that smacked me in the face in high school. Drinking a beer or you know, watching porn or something that's going to drag you away from Christ, it may not ruin your salvation, but it is going to kill your testimony. It is going to kill your testimony. And you will at one point or another have all the regret in the world about it. So think about that the next time that you are being tempted to go back into that. What does your life look like from the outside? There's a quote that I've said over and over and over for the past two months. Character is who you are when nobody else is watching. But let me tell you something. Jesus is watching. Jesus knows. You think nobody else sees but the one who matters is looking on you. Let us keep reading. Verse 17, But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They're warning them, saying, You better not do it anymore. Okay? Verse 19 and 20, but Peter and John answered them and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Point number three, the apostles had tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. Have you tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord? Have you even gave him a shot? Or are you so stuck in the lifestyle that you're living that you are okay with going to hell? As you can tell, I don't sugarcoat. We got to be the church. We got to be the church. Because I promise, once you taste and see the goodness of the Lord... There is not a thing on earth that could ever replace it. Not a thing. Verse 21, when they, had or, and when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. On account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. And when they had been released... 
they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand in the el- and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal, And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them, Point number four, they went boldly. There's no time to have a transition from the old life to the new life. When you come to Christ, it's not a, okay, I'm going to give it a couple months. It's a right now kind of thing. It's a right now kind of thing because let me tell you, if you wait, you're going to slip up again. I'm speaking from personal experience here. If you wait, you are going to slip up again. You've got to go boldly. It's all or nothing. Because let me tell you, your next breath is not guaranteed. Every breath I have learned is a miracle from God, and you need to start treating it like one. Number five, the church was of one accord. I love playing guitar. I love it, I love it, I love it. Such a beautiful, beautiful instrument. And you know what? When it's all tuned up, it sounds real nice and pretty like. Michael, I hope you don't mind, but you take a couple of these and (laughs) you turn them. That ruins it. That ruins it. That elegant sound is gone and let me tell you that's the same way in the church one person getting out of unity will give the whole church a bad rap people start to see that and hear that from the outside and they're like I don't want no part of that it sounds horrible we've got to be united as a church we have we have clear instruction on how to live and what to do but yet we don't do it The church was of one accord. Verse 33, And with the great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Maybe you need some abundant grace this morning. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of these sales. And lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. 
And now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means the son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. My sixth and final point, and we'll start to wind down a little bit with this. The church was more concerned with the church than with their earthly possessions. The church was not worried about the things that they had. They sold it all for the sake of Christ so that everybody was taken care of. Imagine if we did that today. I've heard the statistic that if everybody tithed what they were supposed to, there would not be a needy church in the world. But we're too clingy to our money and our possessions to give it up because we don't have faith in God to take care of us. So now I'm about to hit a lot of people like God hit me with this. False idols don't look bad. False idols are tasty. False idols are something that we crave and that we want. We've got to start giving everything for Jesus. We've got to fight this battle. I love I love, I love. Sports have been a big part of my life, my entire life. Music has been a big part of my life. You know, concerts, all these kinds of things have been a huge part of my life. And I love going on vacations. But at the moment that we allow those things to steal the holiness of God from us, it has become a false idol, and you have got to fight it. If that thing is pulling you away from church and away from God, something is wrong. That's a big hint that you probably need to drop it. So why are you not dropping it? Because let me tell you something. Football, baseball, basketball, that concert or that trip to Cancun is not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Why are you not giving it up? And let me tell you something even bigger. What you do right now, parents, I'm talking to y'all. What you do right now your children are going to be feeling a hundred times more confident to do. So if you miss church once a month right now, just dial it. It's okay. It's okay. Guess what? Your kid's going to miss two, three, four times and think it's okay. There is not an excuse to come worship God Almighty. We have got to realize that and start teaching the young people that. Am I right? Church in Christ has to be number one. You musicians, come on up. I'm going to start to conclude. Y'all bear with me. I got four more real short and brief points. If I can give you four final pieces of advice on how to stop going to church and to start being the church, they would be these. So allow me to speak to you. Number one, stop saying you're going to pray for somebody and start praying with them. You talk about a game changer. How often do we get okay with saying, hey man, I, I got you, I'm going to pray for you. You get home and you got everything else under the sun to worry about and praying for that person is the very last thing on your mind. Grab their hand and say, I'm a brother and a sister in Christ. I believe in prayer, and I believe this is going to heal you, and so let's pray. That's how we be the church. 
That's our priority. This isn't Brent's flock. This is our flock. And we don't pray with each other. Luke 5.16 says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Don't you think that if Jesus did it, we should probably do it? Or at least try to? Life gets busy. You've got to set aside time for prayer in your own life. Number two, this one's kind of tough, but it's practical. Start doing it. Stop reading devotions. (gasps) Get that man off the stage. (laughs) Stop reading devotions and start writing devotions. Read a verse, allow it to speak to you, and then write about it because you've got to constantly learn with a teachable mind. If you can read it and write about it, then you can share it with somebody. Well, if you read it, if you're like me, I'm a little slow. I've got to read it 10 times before I really understand it. But if I can write about it, I know I can share it. So stop reading the devotion book, which, you know, it's not bad to read them. I'm not saying that. But you also need to draw something from your own mind. Number three, be willing to drop everything for Christ's church. Mark 1, 16 through 20 and Luke 9, 59 through 62 detail what it's like to drop everything for the sake of the church. Jesus was calling his apostles then. And you know what? I told you all already. They were fishermen. They knew nothing else back then. You had one trade and you stuck to it. All they knew was fishing. And he said, hey, come with me. And you know what? They dropped it and went. They had no other formal training in anything else. They couldn't write their own name, but they went. You've got to be willing to drop everything for the church. Number four. This is for y'all too. (laughs) Say goodbye to hesitation. Say goodbye to hesitation. Because when Jesus calls, you need to answer. I've already said it and I'm going to say it again and I hope you really understand it. No breath is guaranteed and every breath is a miracle. If you wait, you might be too late. Do you think that when people die, they expect it? Not usually. And I promise you, eternity is a whole lot longer than this earth on here. So maybe you've had it a little bit rough. And I don't blame you. I've had it rough, and I hate it. But let me tell you the promise that you need to rest upon. You are a child of God. Whether you acknowledge it right now, that's when you and him. But I've got to say, before you can be the church, you have got to accept Christ into your heart and into your life. Then you can start going to church, and you can start being the church, and you can start changing lives. So maybe right now, you're unsure of that. Please, God, don't leave here being unsure of that. I'm, I've sat in your exact seat. My heart was beating 90 miles an hour just like yours is. And I was thinking, golly, boom, please don't let him call me up there. Faith will get you to this altar. So allow me to pray for us 
And uh, they're going to sing another song. And I hope that maybe this inspires you. That maybe you want a little bit of Christ. And we can leave here today changed. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to, while your eyes are closed, allow me to tell you about something. When you die, you come to a two-way road. You can go one way or you can go the other. One way leads to glory in heaven. The other way will lead to eternal damnation in hell. Hot. Scorching you. Your skin is burning, but you never get to leave. You thirst, but you won't get a sip of water. You will hear screams and shrieking of people wanting to leave, but they can't because they were caught up in this life. But I promise you, you don't have to work to get to heaven. Heaven is sitting right here waiting on you right now in this place. Allow me through the Holy Spirit to offer you a way into heaven. Pray these words in your heart right after me. God, I know I've messed up. I know that I cannot live this life alone. I know that the troubles are overwhelming me. And Father, right now, I need somebody and something much stronger than me to bring me out of this. So Father, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. And I wanna walk in a new life with you. God, I want to be a child of God. I want to be the church of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been in that seat and you need a do-over. I had a do-over when I was 19 and I thank God for it every single day. Because I hurt a lot of people. I gave my testimony a bad rap, but thank God I can preach his word now. So maybe if you're in that seat and you want to do over and you want to get it right this time, whisper this prayer in your heart right after me. Father God, it's awesome to talk to you again. I pray that you would come and forgive me of my sins, Lord. I know that I've slipped off the path, but Lord, I want to be on that road one more time and I pray that you would lead and guide me. Break my chains, Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sins. So while all these eyes are closed, nobody looking up but the Holy Spirit whose light is shining upon you, I pray that maybe that hits you. Maybe you're struggling with something right now. Maybe you're struggling with going to church and being in the church and you're tired of it and you wanna live the life that Christ has called you to. Let me give you the best thing that you can do because I can't do anything for you. Come step out of your pew and hit this altar and start praying to God and you will start to turn into the church. That you've gotta have a fire inside of you inside the sanctuary before you can take it outside of the sanctuary. Have some faith and be and have no fear in judgment. Come to the altar. Your Father is waiting on you. 
amazing grace. It's the sound ringing in here right now. Your chains are broke. Run. Run from it. I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to stand up and sing. And if you need to come to this altar, don't you hesitate. Don't you hesitate. Lord, be thou my vision. Be my delight. Lead me and guide me and show me where to walk. Because if I'm not walking where you're walking, I don't want to be there. Lord, we're eager for you. Come and move, God. Right now, somebody's chain is breaking. And that last strand is them having to get up and come down to the altar. So break that chain in the name of Jesus. Father, let your fire fall down. Lord, I love you so much. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Psalm 16 says that in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand is blessings forevermore. And the closest that we can get to God today is by hitting our knees and calling upon him.